This is a podcast about individual journeys within wellness and how to navigate it all. After Ali experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s, and Erica went through a self-love journey, we created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are both certified integrative nutrition health coaches and together with our community are learning to live our most purposeful lives by sharing one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys and by talking about them, we aim to destigmatize the process. We want you to be your own health advocate, feel educated and informed on the latest in health and wellness and empower you to feel your absolute best. And because we want to bring forth a wide variety of stories, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect our own, but we hope the diverse and varied stories will empower you to make the best choices for your own life. So join us as we and our community share our courageous wellness. Hi guys, before we get to today's episode, we want to share how excited we are to offer our community 20% off their first order at Sakara with code XO courageous. We have been big fans of the company for years and the Sakara life organic meal delivery program is based on a whole food plant rich diet that includes fresh nutrient dense and delicious ingredients. It's perfect for those weeks you need a refresh or don't have time to meal prep. They also have a clean boutique, which offers delicious food forward bars, snacks, beauty water drops, and my personal favorite metabolism super powder, which works to fire up your metabolism, stabilize blood sugar, eliminate bloat and decrease puffiness. The naturally rich low sugar, dark chocolate flavor is perfect for smoothies or simply mixed with coffee and nut milk. I also regularly use the Sakar cookbook full of plant-rich recipes, which you can purchase on their website. Click the link in our show notes to visit sakara.com and use code XO courageous for 20% off your first order. We know you will love it as much as we do. Now onto the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Courageous Wellness. We have a wonderful episode for you today with Asia Suler. And um, before we get into her formal intro, we'll do our weekly updates as we usually do. Fun fact, actually, um, about Asia and I that we share in common is that we both went to the same undergraduate school at at the same time, actually. And we didn't know each other, but um, I think I was one year above her, but we both went to Vassar and it was so fun connecting with a fellow Vassar girl. Um, And I just really, I really love this conversation um, and Asia's sort of approach to the way she looks at the natural world. So we have a lot of good stuff for you today, but um, before we get into that, Miss Erica, how are you doing? What's going on with you? How am I doing? Um, I loved this conversation too. I learned so much from Asia and I thought it was just such a nice, it was just such a nice conversation. I could have listened to her talk for so long. And, um, you know, she really talks to that. She had, um, chronic pain and healing through the natural world. And I guess my update is kind of in line with that because as I mentioned, a few intros ago, I think now I am dealing with chronic pain in my shoulder and it's, it's been pretty awful. And I have very limited mobility in my left arm and I'm left-handed, but I was able to find an incredible, all they can really recommend for me is physical therapy. Um, and you know, I'm open to modalities like acupuncture and chiropractors and body healers and all of that. So I was able to find an amazing physical therapist, um, chiropractor person, and we aren't cracking at this point. We're just doing a lot of stretching and physical therapy, but you know, the orthopedist and the general practitioner told me it was going to take about two years to heal this. And if it didn't heal in two years that we might have to deal with surgery and that it was going to get worse before it gets better. And, um, it's just funny, right? Not that, you know, I am all about the medical Western world for sure. Um, but 
with diagnoses like this, you know, I just, I, I, you know, I was like, no, like I'm determined that I'm not gonna, it's not going to take two years. And so I'm not better yet. (laughs) This is like a weird update. I'm like nothing, nothing, um, miraculous. I still don't have, um, crazy mobility and I still have chronic pain, but I'm noticing improvement since I've started working with, um, this, this PT chiropractor and, it's just incredible. Like I'm noticing big differences and I, I wasn't even able to go face down on the table with my arms, the way he wanted me to do it. And in just two weeks, um, I'm able to do that now. So we're seeing That's awesome. small improvements. Um, yeah. so fingers crossed, you know, um, it's definitely a long game, but he's pretty confident that we're going to see major improvement in six weeks. And so, yeah, just getting second opinions. And, you know, it's, I do have, you know, my, my husband, since I got this diagnosis has been so helpful, especially with the puppy, you know, cause I, it's hard. I, I'm not really supposed to lift her up and down. And so he's kind of taking some of that extra weight literally off my hands and helping around, which is definitely helping me heal. So definitely have privileges there of support at home to not, use my arm as much, but, um, yeah, I thought that was kind of a fun update and again, long way to go, but it's always good to, I think sometimes when doctors tell you things, it can get in your head and get you a little down, right? Like, I'm just going to have to suffer for the next two years. But as we always talk about like advocating for yourself and finding the right doctor. And this is actually the second physical therapist I've been to because I didn't I didn't like the first one I went to. Right. So I changed and I didn't, you know, so yeah, kind of a fun update about my health and what we're doing with my arm. So I'll keep you guys posted and maybe he'll come on the podcast too. Yeah, that'd be fun. And I think you make a good point. And I've certainly experienced this with many of my, um, you know, health challenges through the years is that at the end of the day, people can offer, you know, educated, um, diagnoses, diagnoses. but in in a lot of ways, it's like, there's no, there's no crystal ball there. We really have to also trust ourselves in the process and keep, um, like you said, a determination to like, you're really determined. I'm really determined. So to keep that determination and to trust that you will find and find the help you need for like for the best possible outcome for your health. Absolutely. And I've, um, I've since learned too, that it seems that frozen shoulder is, um, it's kind of like the IBS of diagnoses. Like there, you know, it's kind of like, we're not a hundred percent sure what's going on and it's, we've ruled out everything else it could be. So here's, we're going to call it this. Exactly. And I've learned that not everyone with frozen shoulder has chronic pain with it. So I'm learning a lot. Um, yeah. And it's just, again, a good reminder of what we talk about. Um, being your own health advocate. And this was such, you know, honestly, this is such a good episode as I was re-listening when editing the episode in the podcast. It's just like, oh, it's just the natural world has been also really healing through this. And so, um, yeah, I'm excited to get everyone to hear this episode because it's really great. <laughs> it is. It's a lot of, um, it's a lot of great information and, um, and Asia has a beautiful story she shares with us too. Yeah. Um, so and, yeah. And I'm excited too, because, um, you know, as, as always, this episode is sponsored by milk and honey and yeah. I definitely have the approval to get massages. They can only help not hurt. Oh, <laughs> and, and milk and honey massages are so good. If any of you have not tried them, we highly recommend, um, they have many, different services that they provide, but the milk and honey spas, um, they're in Texas. There are two in LA now in Brentwood and Culver city. One just opened in Chicago as well. And, um, like I said, they offer all different types of services, including a courageous wellness retreat, which is a combination of a 60 minute Swedish massage and full body dry brushing service. But We also have something really exciting for our listeners right now through the end of the year. So typically and continuously, you can use CW Podcasts as a code for 20% off any of the services at the Milk and Honey 
um, spas all over the country. But for our California LA listeners, we also have a special code through the end of the year. CW Bestie will get you and a friend, you and a partner, whoever you decide to bring, 50% off on both of your services. So, so amazing. It's basically like BOGO when you think about it. <laughs> totally, totally. And it's a great time too. Like it's a great gift to give. They offer gift certificates throughout the holiday season. I don't think yes. there's anything better than a gift certificate to a spa to receive as a gift. And yeah, no matter where you live, you can shop their online boutique for Osea Malibu, Milk and Honey products, Kula Sun Care Virtue, Moon Juice. It's great. We love you, Milk and Honey. And I'm definitely going to be getting a massage sooner than later. So all the new codes, all the updates, they're all in the show notes and in our link tree on Instagram. So you can check all of that out. But should we get to Asia's episode? Yes, absolutely. So today on the podcast, we sit down with herbalist, writer, and earth intuitive, also the founder of One Willow Apothecaries, Asia Suler, who believes that self-compassion itself can be a force of ecological healing for the world. In her new book, Mirrors in the Earth, Reflections on Self-Healing from the Living World, Out Now, she invites us to experience how our individual healing brings healing to our world, reminding us that we are a part of the earth and the earth is a part of us. She guides us on a path back to self-acceptance, interconnection, and belonging, empowering us to make a stand for our natural environment. We have a really beautiful conversation about her new book, how to connect more with the natural world and how to discover your own earth healing archetype, which was really fun to discuss. So enjoy the episode. This episode is brought to you by Ned. Let's talk about CBD. The CBD market feels really saturated these days, doesn't it? It seems like you can get it at any coffee shop or grocery store, and many CBD brands actually source their hemp from industrial hemp farms in China. The brand that we love, and more importantly, the brand that we trust is Ned. Ned produces some of the highest quality CBD available in the world, and Erica and I only partner with brands that we ourselves use. Ned shares third-party lab reports, who farms their products, and their extraction process all right there on their website. Ned is also USDA certified organic with all products extracted from USDA certified organic hemp plants grown by an independent farmer named Jonathan in Peonia, Colorado. How is that for knowing exactly where your CBD comes from? We have both been longtime users of Ned. I rely on the full spectrum hemp oil to help with anxiety and the hormone balance blend has been a game changer as I transitioned off of birth control. And today we want to talk about Ned's new product, which has been in development for over a year, the de-stress blend. I've gone through two bottles since it's come out and I could not be more obsessed with the benefits and the effects. This one-to-one formula of CBD and CBG is made from the world's purest full spectrum hemp and check out these ingredients. CBG is known as the mother of all cannabinoids because of how effective it is at combating anxiety and stress by inhibiting the reuptake of GABA, the neurotransmitter responsible for stress regulation. Ashwagandha is an amazing Ayurvedic adaptogen that enhances your body's resilience to stress. And the delicious taste of this blend is thanks to the botanical infusion of cardamom and cinnamon. Cinnamon is a powerful prebiotic that supports your gut health, a key player in your mental health. And cardamom combats stress by helping reduce your blood pressure and cortisol levels. Also, Ned's quality speaks for itself. The products have over 1,500 five-star reviews, and they work with incredible partners within the medical field like Dr. Carolyn Leaf, Dr. Christian Gonzalez, and Dr. Will Cole, who has been a two-time guest on this podcast. If you'd like to give Ned a try, Courageous Wellness listeners get 15% off Ned products with the code CWPODCAST. Visit helloned.com slash CWPODCAST to get access. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com forward slash CWPODCAST to get 15% off. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. You can also find a link in our show notes. Well, thank you for joining us today, Asia. We're really excited to have you on the show and hear about 
all the work that you do and your wisdom in that. So just to get us started today, can you share us uh, with us a little bit about your personal journey, your background, and how that's led you into the the work that you do? Yeah. So I, when I was in my late teens, I developed a, a chronic pain condition called vulvodynia. And, um, you know, the way I describe it is this, this experience of having so much pain inside my body kind of forced me, um, to go outdoors, to go outside. And, you know, at the time I was in college, which we just found out that we went to the same college, Allie and I, (laughs) um, which is very cool. And we were there at the same time. So, um, we might've crossed paths as I was booking it from the dorms out to the farm and to the woods, uh, because really that was like my solace. It was my safe space. It was, it was the place where I felt seen and resourced. And, and I, you know, I know for a lot of folks who experience any kind of chronic conditions, chronic pain, chronic illness, that it often feels invisible. And so it was really with the natural world that I felt seen. And this was before I knew any plant names or, you know, anything about herbalism. I just knew that this is where I needed to be. And I started having these experiences where not only was I reaching out, but I could feel the earth reaching back to me. And that's really for me where it all began. And from, from there, I I graduated from college. I moved to New York city. I got the only job I could find involved with plants, which was becoming a plant technician, which means I took care of people's office plants in Manhattan. I like walked around with a huge duffel bag and a watering can through Times Square. And, um, but it was, you know, it was a way to stay connected. And then, and then one morning I woke up and I thought I'm going to study herbalism. And looking back, I think I thought I knew what that meant, but I had no idea. And so I ended up going to the chestnut school of herbal medicine down um, here in the mountains in, in Asheville, North Carolina. And, you know, I, I showed up as like a total newbie that first day. I knew like absolutely nothing, not even how to make like loose leaf tea. And I remember just sitting there at the potluck lunch feeling like, oh my gosh, I am such a fraud. Like how, you know, how, how am I going to stack up with all these amazing students who already know so much, but I just fell in love with herbalism and with this concept of working with nature for truly holistic healing and, So my sort of career then started as an herbalist. I graduated and I started seeing people in private practice and started teaching, but really at the heart of, of my journey was this, this emotional, spiritual connection to the living world. And, and I, I was fascinated by chemical constituents and the way plants work inside our bodies. And I wanted to make sure I I really knew all that information if I was going to work with people one-on-one, but over and over again, it ended up happening that people were coming to me, not just for physical healing, but they were coming for healing that, that went deeper into that emotional and spiritual realm. And so as, as time went on, my, my offerings and my teaching started becoming more focused on really helping people connect to the living world and by connecting to nature, making that primary connection themselves, really starting to see and understand who they are and the gifts that they're here to carry in this world. And so, yeah, I ended up, you know, starting to do online programs and you know, teaching around the country. And eventually I wrote a book uh, called Mirrors in the Earth that just came out this past year. And that's really a lot of what the book is about, is about this concept that we we are always being invited by the earth and by this world to look into the mirror of nature so we can see ourselves. And it's not because the living world is, is an object that we project ourselves upon, but because the living world is our kin and our elder, and it is here to help us remember who we are and grow into the people we are here to become just like a an acorn can become the oak. The living world is here to nurture us into becoming who we are meant to be. So yeah, that's a little bit about my background and and how I got to be where I am today. It's really beautiful. And it's really beautiful hearing you describe that. And I think during the pandemic, actually, you know, I grew up, I grew up in Los Angeles and you know, there's beautiful nature in Los Angeles. We have beaches, mountains, snow, right? We have it all. And it's still like a city. And I, I wasn't really connected to nature until the pandemic when I was craving. That's all I wanted was to be in nature and in wide open spaces and 
to be around trees. And I will say my journey in the last two years, I've become someone who now sees trees and fully hugs them. That is who (laughs) I am on hikes and walks. And I touch them and I just want to, but it really took right this global pause and standstill for even myself to be like, wow, um, you need to connect with earth and, and yeah, it, that was my journey with it. But I'm curious how you work with individuals to develop and form that connection, as you mentioned, like how are some ways that individuals can heal through this relationship and how do you guide them through that? So there's a couple things that I always start people out with that sound very basic, but actually are, are working on a couple different levels, not only on a, on a exchange level between you and whatever being in nature you're communicating with, but actually to help like rewire our brain. So, you know, as you mentioned, it's like most of us, especially in in the Western world, were kind of raised in, in cultures where nature almost wasn't seen, right? Like almost this, there was a, a lack of awareness of the fact that these beings in nature are alive and sentient or even there. Um, so, you know, I, I definitely grew up, I grew up in a, in the suburbs, but it was still sort of like the, the, the world that I was taught to pay attention to was the human world and nature was just the background. And so, so here are some tips that I like to give people. The first thing to do is to introduce yourself. And so to go out to a tree or a creek or a stone and literally out loud, introduce yourself. Who are you? Where do you come from? Where do your people come from? Where do you live? You know, why are you interested in connecting with this being? And so first of all, it's just good etiquette, right? Like to greet another, another being um, and introduce yourself. But it also does something really interesting in our brain. It starts to rewire the synapses in our brain. So we start to see the living world as a collection of people because we are taught to introduce ourselves to people, right? And and specifically to people that we respect and honor and want to be in connection with. And so when you introduce yourself, you are helping to actually rewire your brain to see the living world as a collection of, of people who, who we have the blessing to be in communication with. So that's the first thing that I always tell people to do. And then if you want to make that connection even deeper, bring a gift. So you can bring, you know, water or, you know, a bit of hair or some herbs that you grew, you know, as a stone, whatever it is, as long as it's biodegradable and it's meaningful to you, that energy exchange of giving a gift opens this gateway for connection and communication with the living world. And I'm always blown away by just how much opens the moment I give that gift. And again, this is also a thing that's like working on this neurological level to reprogram our systems to be like, okay, who do I give gifts to? People I care about, people I value, um, people I want to court, you know, there's, there's a bit of courtship going on here when we are interacting with the living world. And so, yeah, bringing a gift can be really amazing. And then, you know, one of the final things I say to people is to just try and let go of agenda or, you know, feeling like there's some way to do it right. And just be present and listen, you know, we're meant to be human beings, not human doings. And when we're constantly in this motion of doing, 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 even if the doing's like, I'm going to leave a gift and then I'm going to, you know, make a mandala and then I'm going to sing a song, you know, it, it can start to feel like you're ticking off a box instead of just listening. And we can communicate with the living world. It's just that the the communications that we receive back are often quite quiet and it comes through that inner voice. And so once you introduce yourself and give that gift to really just spend time in presence, you know, sitting with your back against that tree or, or touching that boulder with your hand in the stream and just see what comes through for you. And everybody is different and how they receive. So, you know, there's the concept of the different clairs, clairvoyant people tend to see things visually. So you might see, you know, sort of lights playing over the water, or you might have a bumblebee zoom into your vision Clear audience people tend to receive through hearing. So you might have a song come into your head or actually um, literally hear words being spoken. And then, you know, there's other things like claircognizant where it just feels like you just get a download and all of a sudden you just feel like you know something or clairsentient where you really feel in your body. So to really like the more you can just sort of sit in your body and just 
be with that process, even if it's just for five or 10 minutes, you will receive something. Um, and the more that we open to those somethings, the more we will receive. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, it's really, it is an interesting thing. And I, I know Erica and I've had conversations between the two of us over, especially over the last couple of years um, about our own relationship with the natural world. And the, I think it came both of us from that craving um, in, a, in a new way. And, you know, it's interesting you're talking about like, we're used to being in the human world, but I think sometimes we forget that as human beings, we're also like a part, a part of the natural world. And that disconnection can create dis-ease in a lot of ways, whether that's something that we manifest physically or in our hearts or whatever that might be, or, um, emotionally. Um, so I don't know, this is just sort of like a personal experience, but sometimes when I now carve out more time to connect with the living world or the natural world, you, you I get the opportunity to feel more connected to myself. And I guess that brings into the, um, conversation, the spiritual component of what you do. And I'm, I'm, in the sense of like connecting, connecting to self, or even in the title of your book, Mirrors in the Earth, the idea of like being able to see ourselves through reflections of the natural world and understand ourselves better, maybe in that component. I'm curious, did your work in herbalism and your work in connecting to plants and the natural world, did that develop your sense of spirituality or connection to self? Um, or was that something you like, did you feel, I guess, as a child or growing up, whatever your experience was, even in the suburbs, did you feel like you always had that kind of connection and it expanded through this world or how did, I guess I'm curious about your relationship with your own sense of spirituality and how that developed, um, through this work. I think kids, naturally are such spiritual little beings. Um, you know, I think we, we come in and we're just, we're just connected. We just don't know any different. And then often sort of the enculturation comes in and, and really at its, at its basis, we're just sort of told that's not important or not even real, um, that connection. Um, or it has to look a very specific way if you grew up in a, in a particular organized religion. And so for me, I definitely was always, a spiritual child, but from a very early age, I kind of internalized this belief that was really just sort of the cultural miasma that I lived in growing up. I grew up in, in Pennsylvania, like um, probably a couple hours from New York, one hour from Philadelphia, both sides of my family are from New York. So there was kind of this um, cultural overlay over everything, which was sort of this concept that like spirituality was divorced from intellectualism, um, that the two don't go hand in hand. And so from a young age, I really wanted to be seen as you know smart and an intellectual and, um, you know, just someone who was, you know, who's was thinking deeply about things. And so I, from a young age, I kind of internalized this belief that to be spiritual was not to be intellectual. So I kind of like let go of that side of myself. I, I let it like atrophy is kind of how I would put it. It was always there, but I sort of, it was something I just, I didn't focus on. And then, yeah, when I was, you know, <laughs> um, paradoxically, when I was in college and very much like in an academic setting, you know, I had this huge clarion call to come back to my spiritual self. I think anytime someone goes through a crisis, whether it's a you know, crisis of health, mental health, physical health, um, crisis of self. It's like, we're, we're, it's a, it's an invitation to come back into connection, um, on all and on, on the deepest level. And, and I, and I really, I, I really try to conceptualize of things that way because I've gone through several iterations of chronic illness and chronic pain in my life. And I always try to see it as, as this invitation. And it always has been that it's like, I go to that next deeper level. And so for me, I start, I really started reconnecting in when I was in my late teens and it, it was kind of like a doorway that opened that I, I always knew was there. And, you know, I have to say, I, I can't speak about this awakening without um, speaking to my advisor in college, which was professor Molly McGlennon, who was um, an Anishinaabe professor and 
author and she she was brought into where we went to school Vassar College to start the Native American Studies program and I ended up being the for one of the first students to go through that program and um, so she through working with her she exposed me to so many uh, Native thinkers and philosophers um, and writers and so I was getting all this feedback from people who've come from some of the oldest um, cultures on earth that what I was experiencing wasn't like crazy um, and wasn't also anti-intellectual that you can have these experiences of you know communing with the natural world and feeling that connection to oneself as more than just a physical being as as a multi-layered being a being of, of spirit and energy in a world that's made of spirit and energy and that that wasn't antithetical to you know academic discourse that that is just something that's been left out of the conversation um, in western culture and specifically you know eurocentric academia and so that was huge, huge, huge for me. And yeah. And I think once I, once I started studying herbalism, it was really just more about getting to know the plants on a multifaceted level. And, and, and it just helped for me bring home this idea that, you know, like science and ecology and biology, these are not separate from like the spiritual journey. It's actually all interwoven. And, and so I think sort of the where we're at right now is realizing that these were actually meant to be interwoven and that, that they're stronger together. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I, I feel like listening to you sometimes it gives me like goosebumps because I, mm-hmm. I feel similarly and I'm Erica and I actually met through, we do have a structured um, spiritual practice. We met through our lay Buddhist practice. Um, but I think that these, all these components of kind of what it means to be human, um, not divorcing them from each other, but, but to understand that there's a place and that they can be really, really, um, compatible and kind of inform, uh, deeper wisdom in all parts, um, whatever that might look like for you. And so thank you for speaking to that. Cause I, yeah, I relate to that. Yeah, no, I think it's really beautiful. And even, you know, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm now a full tree hugger. I talk to the trees I t- mm-hmm. and I feel an energy from them. And I'm excited to talk about archetypes in a second, but I, yeah, like you, you mentioned with your own physical healing journey, right? Like you can physically heal from, um, this connection to nature and, and like physically right, with herbs and herbalism, et cetera. But you also like the spiritual and emotional healing I felt since reconnecting with, um, trees specifically, like I'm very connected to trees. Cause I grew up in a beach community. So I did grow up with like ocean and beach nature. And I've always felt the most at home when I am at the beach, but getting connected to like trees and mountains and just that what I didn't really experience. Um, I think it's helping me come home to like my most authentic self as a child, because I was such an adventurer and I would climb trees and I would jump into everything. And I lost that part of myself as I grew up as you do and develop different interests and was more immersed in a city life. And I really feel like in these last two years of becoming a full tree hugger that I'm coming home and healing this, like it's helping me heal my inner child, which I know we talk so much about. So just so interesting, but something I thought was really cool on your website is you have a free archetype quiz that we're going to link in our show notes. And I hope every single person takes, because I thought it was really fun. Um, but you meant you, there are different archetypes. I guess you can be within this spiritual, natural earth world that we all live in. Um, so can you tell us about it and then maybe talk about the different archetypes? So I got the rainbow, which is my archetype and Ali, you got a different one. Which one did you get? Yes. I was just looking it up. Um, I got the you old growth me. tree, old growth tree. Yeah. yeah. And I imagine there's more you can be. So if you want to break this down and then I'm sure everybody listening is going to run and take this test because <laughs> it was really fun. And I definitely connected to fun. mine and I'm sure you connected to yours. So, um, yeah. 
We want to take a quick break from this episode to tell you about today's sponsor, Milk and Honey. Milk and Honey is a female founded and funded brand that began as luxury day spas in Austin, Texas, and has since grown to include eight locations across Texas, Chicago, and Los Angeles, as well as a line of bath, body, and skincare born from the spa. One of Milk and Honey's best-selling products is the natural deodorant, which is loved by Zoe Kravitz and was featured in her Vogue Beauty Secrets video. In addition to clean deodorant, their online boutique also offers a wide variety of clean beauty products from top brands, including Osea Malibu, Virtue, Moon Juice, and more. Some of my favorite products include Milk and Honey's Gel Cleanser, the Super Goop Glow Screen and SPF 40, which I now buy on their site, and Osea's Body Oil and Vegas Nerve Oil, which activates the body's relaxation response and helps regulate stress. Their spas are lovely, and we both are big fans of their treatments, and now offer discounts at both the online boutique and spa locations on all spa and med spa treatments. We are also thrilled to partner with Milk and Honey to offer a Courageous Wellness Spa package called the Courageous Wellness Retreat at a discounted rate. The Courageous Wellness Retreat combines a 60-minute Milk and Honey signature massage, which is a Swedish massage tailored to your needs, focusing on relaxation and stress relief combined with a body brushing treatment, an exfoliating and detoxifying treatment that uses a natural bristle brush that you get to take home that stimulates your lymph and circulation while also reviving dull skin. And from now through the end of the year, Milk and Honey has offered some exclusive specials for Courageous Wellness listeners to use at their spa locations. For any new or existing spa customers, you can save 20% on any spa service with code CWPODCAST. And as a holiday treat from now through the end of the year, at Milk and Honey, Brentwood, and Culver City locations, bring a friend to the spa and you'll both take 50% off your spa service with code CWBESTIE. You can find links to book at the spa, shop online, and all the codes in our show notes on our Instagram link tree or website. CWBESTIE saves 50% for you and a friend at Los Angeles spa locations and CW podcast saves 20% online at the spa for new and existing customers on any treatment through the end of the year. This episode is brought to you by Dr. Jen natural toothpaste, a toothpaste like no other. There is nothing more important than fresh breath and dental wellness. We've even done episodes on it. And we are so happy to have Dr. Jen Natural Toothpaste as a sponsor of the Courageous Wellness Podcast. Dr. Jen Natural Toothpaste is a toothpaste created by a real dentist using nourishing and natural ingredients proven to remineralize tooth enamel to prevent decay. The founder, Dr. Jen, isn't just someone who got an idea and made a toothpaste. She's a highly trained and experienced dental professional. As a mom of three kids and a dentist, she knows how important it is to provide safe, natural, and healthy products for our long-term health and development. This is what started her on the quest to find a natural toothpaste that actually works. After not seeing an adequate toothpaste available, she took on the challenge to satisfy this gap. Bringing in her prior experience as an engineer and working alongside chemists, she created the ultimate natural toothpaste using clinically proven ingredients to strengthen teeth. We are huge fans of the Yummy Toothpaste with ingredients that are good for you and the environment. All products are also made from sustainable ingredients and biodegradable materials. If you want to try Dr. Jen Natural Toothpaste, you can save 10% with code CWPODCAST, one word, at checkout when you visit www.drjennatural.com. That's www.drjennatural.com. All information can also be found in our show notes. Well, I love hearing about your archetypes. I'm happy to talk about them more. And and I'm I'm not surprised even just the short little time that we've talked so far. Um, it really fits you both. But uh, yeah, so on my website, I have something called the Earth Healing Archetype. So, you know, I've I've worked with thousands of people around the world at this point, and I started to notice this pattern of sort of these five, what I call the five Earth Healing Archetypes, these five core archetypes that I, I found I started seeing that people aligned with. And really what these archetypes are, they're looking at 
um, a specific archetype in the natural world and how that can help us understand how our energy works and really how, what we're here, what the gifts are we're here to bring to this world. So the five archetypes are the rainbow, the old growth tree, the standing stone, the vein of gold and the wellspring. And so what was really interesting is after sort of delineating these five archetypes, I ended up learning about the five spirits in, in Chinese medicine and Chinese philosophy. And they dovetail completely beautifully with these five earth healing archetypes. So it was an amazing experience of just realizing, okay, I'm not just making this up. Like this is, there's, there's something primal about this sort of like five archetypical system. And so we all, just like with any archetype on earth, we all have all five within us, but we tend to be dominant in, in one of them. And so I'll start with the rainbow. Uh, rainbow archetype people are are just like rainbows themselves. They're, they're here to be sort of like a bright flash of light and color and inspiration, um, like positivity, creation. They have a lot of ideas. They tend to really inspire other people with their ideas. Um, they sort of like, they can sometimes be like perpetual motion machines, not always, but they tend to have a lot of energy. And, and so that's like the beautiful side of the, the rainbow archetype. And then of course there's challenges with each one, right? Sometimes like rainbow people have so many ideas that it can then be hard to know which to focus on, or, you know, really it's kind of like they're here to bring in those ideas. And then like other people kind of make them a reality because you're kind of like the, ins the inspiration, you know, you're bringing the inspiration here to this planet and to like allow yourself to be that. And then, you know, sort of the, if we're moving sort of, if you, we start up in the sky, we start moving down because rainbow people have a really strong connection to spirit too. Um, and sort of the upper realms. And then we come to the old growth tree, who's kind of like a bridge between the realms and old growth tree people. They also have like downloads and ideas, but they also have a little bit more ability to like put them into reality. They tend to be really good at things around like communication and expression and sometimes can be in leadership roles. So the old growth tree people, they can sort of, they can kind of bridge the, the earthly and the upper realms pretty well. And then we move down to the earth level and we get to the standing stone. So the inspiration for this came from, you know, visiting standing stones throughout Ireland and in England and just seeing how they're both so grounded on the earth and yet also emanating this spiritual power. So standing stone people are earth people. Um, if we were to put the elements to it, like the five elements, it's like the rainbow people, um, you know, our air elements and then, and then the um, old growth tree, wood elements. And then here we're, we're on the earth and this is like the, the earth element. And so standing stone people, they tend to move things, uh, move through things methodically. They can be like very engineer minded. So my partner is a standing stone person and he's like this expert gardener. He's always like meticulously taking care of everything in the garden. He understands how things work on the physical plane. Whereas I'm kind of like, I don't know, like, well, just, I'll just kind of do this thing and <laughs> tie it up and I think it'll be fine. And he's like, no, you have like, this is the process and how you do it. And so standing stone people really make the world go round and um, they, they tend to be, you know, like herbalists and, you know, craftspeople and people who are like really good at actually manifesting here on the physical plane. And then sort of, we go beneath the surface of the earth and we get to the vein of gold people. And so literally seeing this vein of gold in the earth and vein of gold people, I think of as they're, they're deep, they're old souls. They are, um, not that the other archetypes aren't, but that they have this sort of connection to the soulful realm, which sometimes mean they can be drawn to things like um, psychology, the unconscious, like they want to know how things work on this deeper level. It sort of can be the archetype of the shaman. And so, um, yeah, vein of gold people are they're sort of un in touch with like the underneath layer of things. It also means that they, they go about life a bit slower and they're, they're supposed to actually slow down and really ponder those connections and have people come to them to, um, to help to understand how things are connected. So they are really good at seeing how things are connected. And then we go all the way, um, beneath the surface and we go hit the wellspring archetype and wellspring people. I love them so much. I have a, a bunch of wellspring people in my life and I just adore them and wellspring people, are really here to just be. So wellspring people are like the Buddhas of the world. Like literally, and you have, I'm sure you have people like this in your life. It's like, they just literally walk into a room and like change the energy of the room just by being in there. And if they just let themselves like, just like be and emanate, like they just are kind of like, 
you know, like literally like the bubbling stream, the bubbling spring coming out of the earth. They don't have to do anything just like emanate themselves um, that, that that's really what they're here to do. And it can be really hard in this culture because we're told, you know, you always have to be doing and accomplishing. And I would say of all the five archetypes, I get emails the most from Wellspring people saying like, oh my gosh, I feel so seen. <laughs> like my whole life, I literally was just like told that I, you know, whatever it was, that I wasn't ambitious, that I wasn't smart. Um, and really what it comes down to is that like, I, I'm just sort of meant to be this sort of sitting Buddha archetype. And so, like I said, we all have all five within us. And I think throughout our lives, we touch base with different ones at different times. But I do think we have a primary archetype that really helps us understand sort of the delivery system for how our gifts come through. So I will just say for full disclosure that I am also an old growth tree. So I very much understand that archetype. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just been so fun to see how people resonate with it. And if people go and take the quiz, which is totally free, there's also a free class that's associated with each archetype and you can access all those classes. Um, if, if you want to, if you want to sign up at the end of the quiz. Thank you. Yeah. You answered my question. I was going to say, which one are you? <laughs> and it's funny when you're explaining them too, I'm starting to think about people in my life. Like, hmm, this sounds like this. When you're talking about your partner, it reminds me of my husband too. Like the easy to manifest earth side meticulous, especially with plants. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I, yeah. call him, I call him the plant daddy in our house. A lot of our plants are inside because we're in LA and we don't have a lot of land, but, um, yeah. I love that. Like how, takes, takes care, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious too. So how did these archetypes like come into existence? Like what was the inception of them? I really, I, I, I tend to be going back to the Claire's very clear cognizant. I just kind of get downloads sometimes. And I, I was out for a walk. A lot of my best thinking happens on walks. And I was like, oh, I'm supposed to make this like archetype quiz. And so I, I spent like a year really just meditating on like, what are those five, five archetypes? How would I describe them based on, you know, all these people I've worked with and how I've seen them give their gifts to the world. And so, um, I did a lot of, uh, personal channeling sessions where I just sort of sat down and free wrote and saw what came out. And I just sort of asked the earth, like, what do you want me to say to to these people, you know, who would resonate with this archetype. And then I folded in, uh, some of the information about the five spirits into that as well. So I talk a little bit more about the five spirits in the classes and how they relate. And also, you know, in, in the, the Chinese, um, system of Chinese medicine, those five spirits, they actually interact together and we all have all five spirits in our body and they all play a particular role, um, in, in the life process and in helping us like sort of inhabit this lifetime and bring our gifts here. So that actually adds another layer of how they're all supposed to work together. Um, so I thought that was really cool and it really helped me sort of crystallize the vision. And I always love finding, finding that, that what we're intuitively receiving also has like really deep roots in, in ancient traditions. And so I love bringing that in to, to just, you know, help people feel even more supported if they want to go deeper into exploring how they might appear, you know, in other cultures. Yeah. And I think that's also important. We talk about this a lot. There's some like, you know, practices that become kind of a part of the Western world or even how you like, even in the quote unquote kind of wellness space, but these are like thousands of years old based in indigenous, um, practice and uh, culture. And it's important to understand so that we can like show that respect and not just kind of ha like have it be a commodified thing. Um, so I think to understand and, and have history and to learn about the roots of a lot of, um, these practices and concepts too, I think is an important part if we're going to implement them in our lives to have, to just have understanding and respect for it. And, um, I was going to ask you actually, as I like, as you were talking about the offerings and, and, you know, that you took a long time to sit with it and see what, what you wanted to bring in developing this. I'm curious as someone who works with and is now deeply connected to the natural world and um that you work in many different like components of it from herbalism to um you know one-on-one -on -one, um as an author to um how do you marry 
that you maybe your relationship with technology and the work that you do. And the reason I ask this, it's partially personal. It's partially because I think it's so relevant culturally right now um, that like technology, obviously it's what we can uh, all connect today and, and create this conversation. So there's like obviously a lot of value that can be created with it. And I also see it in a way that is um, a device that sometimes disconnects. Um, and I see that for the younger generation as well. And so how do you, how do you make space for incorporating it in a way that can be valuable without having it be something that disconnects? Yeah, this is such a good question. And yeah, so pertinent. I have, uh, I just had a baby this past year, so she's six months old. And it's something I think about a lot, uh, you know, as she gets older, like what kind of, you know, parameters are we going to have around technology and how, how are we going to maintain healthy boundaries with it? Because I, I agree that especially for the younger generation that I think grew up with more social media, I think that there's a different kind of relationship than, um, you know, those of us who didn't really have that until we were adults and our brains were fully formed. <laughs> um, I think it's not quite as addictive, um, for us. Like it's easier to, to tune off, but even, you know, even that being said, you know, I, I definitely have to, um, be very, very, very conscious of my relationship with technology. And I think having a, having a relationship with the living world just helps you remind you of what reality is. <laughs> it's like, this is the, this is the deepest, truest reality. Um, right now, like walking down the street through my community and passing these trees and passing the people who live here, um, that is, that is the reality that has always been here and that will always be here. And, you know, I think we've, we've moved to sort of a global space, but we will absolutely be moving back to local spaces. And I think that this cycle that we're in right now, technology, it's amazing because we can grow exponentially, but, um, just like any sort of powerful spiritual tool or initiation, we need to come in with like respect and, and healthy boundaries and awareness that this is sort of, um, it's, you have to use powerful tools with a lot of conscientiousness. And, you know, it's like, for example, I definitely have friends who are, you know, very into using plant ethnogens like ayahuasca. It hasn't really been a part of my journey, but to just, to just know like the way that they interact with it is like you interact with this during certain times, you know, for certain reasons, you're clear about the intention with that. It's not just like every day, all day. And I think the same needs to be true for technology because this is like just as potent and like mind bending and mind expanding and connecting. And so for me, you know, I, I tend to have, and I'm always sort of going through cycles of getting out of balance and coming back into balance with it, but I, I try to have like really clear boundaries with it. So you know, I, I'm like, I don't, I'm not on technology as much as possible. Like when I'm with my child, I, you know, I'm only on technology certain times of the day. I have, you know, app limits on my phone, um, you know, all of those things. And, and, you know, really having a practice of, of observing myself and, so stepping into that observer role to be like, okay, so how do I feel right now that I just scrolled for 20 minutes? I'm just curious. There's no judgment. Just how do I feel? And is that how I want to feel in my life? Did I, did I get what I needed in this moment? Did it help me? Did it inspire me? Sometimes the answer is yes. Uh, or did, do I have this sort of sense of malaise? Do I, do I feel, you know, like lesser than do I, do I feel like my life got a little less bright or a little less expansive from this? And just to be curious about that, I think the more we can observe ourselves, um, the better we can then become at taking care of the, ourselves and the way we use this tool. And just like we talk about how human beings are nature, you know, so, so is technology. And it's something um, I love. Well, I loved so much about this book, but the book Sand Talk by Tyson Yuka Porta. Um, and so Tyson Yukomposha is a, uh, indigenous, uh, professor and scholar and thinker and philosopher, um, Aboriginal from Australia. And he 
he wrote this book about how indigenous thinking can save the world. And he quotes a lot of his elders in the book. And, and one of the elders, he talks about how, I think they're waiting for a plane or something. And he talks about how the elder is saying like, there is, there is nothing outside of the dreaming. Like everything is, is part of the dreaming. Everything is part of um, creation and, and nature and spirit. And he says that he, he looks at the smartphone, like it's a benevolent alien stick. And <laughs> I just loved that. It really stuck with me. Now, when I pick up my phone, I'm like, look at this benevolent alien stick. But I, I really try to remember that it's like, everything is a part of creation. And, you know, it's, it's really just asking me to be in right relationship to it. And that's just sort of something that's, that's a constant balance. But the more that I can be aware of myself and what brings me alive and what really helps me in my, my own personal mission of bringing my gifts to the planet, the, the more I can sort of, um, yeah, stay in that place of, of harmony and well-being with it. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I was just kind of curious your perspective and you, you bring up a lot of really, I think, thoughtful points. Um, it's something that I find myself not even struggling with for myself, but I struggle with kind of for others as well at this point in my life. And, um, and yes, and, and as an adult trying to consciously create those boundaries because anything can be good or bad based on like the way it functions, right. So of service or not. Um, so thank you for sharing your thoughts on that. I'd like to quickly also touch, we touched on your book, but, um, mirrors in the earth. Can you share with us a little bit about it? Um, so if any of our listeners want to pick it up and, and understand, um, you write some beautiful essays in it and, um, and, and just kind of, you touched on it as well as talking about it as like the, with the title, with the reflection and, um, in the living world for us. Um, but is there anything else you'd like to share, uh, for our listeners about the book? Yeah. Mirrors in the earth. It's a, it's a series of essays. And I, at first I sort of called it a, a collection of affirmations from the living world. So the essays look at different ecological processes, plants, stones, beings in nature, and the way in which those, those beings and those processes actually reflect back to us how natural we are and how natural our individual journeys are. And the book was designed to take people on a journey through, through these three layers of self-recognition and self-acceptance, um, self-appreciation, and then through those, those two, really learning how to give our gifts to the world. So the concept at the heart of this book is the idea that self-compassion is a force of ecological healing and that something the earth is asking us to bring to this time to help this moment of, of healing and evolution on this planet is to learn true self-compassion and that it's not it's not secondary to the journey. It's not selfish. It's not frivolous. It's actually essential. And that where we are in the world today and sort of a lot of the wounds and harm we see being perpetrated comes from a lack of true self-compassion. And so in this way of thinking, the earth is actually very actively invested in us seeing and recognizing and appreciating ourselves, because this is how we become, come back into the fold, come back into our belonging and really learn about the gifts we're meant to bring to this world and, and, and have the, the bravery and the awareness to give them. And so I call the book mirrors in the earth, um, because there's this concept in psychology called mirroring where you mirror back to somebody, um, you know, who they are through mirroring their expressions, their emotions. And when we're, when we're children in an ideal scenario, our caretakers mirror back to us, um, who we are and, um, our strengths and, you know, our self-recognition. And yet a, a lot of us didn't get the kind of mirroring that we truly needed. And in, in part, that's because we're dealing with a backlog of, of trauma in, um, in the world right now and in our, our various cultures. And, and also it's partially because we're missing out on the mirror that we were always meant to look into, which is the parent mirror of the earth. So I say that the, the, the earth is like the parent mirror that never forsakes us and, um, and doesn't make a mistake <laughs> and is always reflecting back to us, the truth and the goodness of who we are. And so when we can 
when I, wherever we are on the journey, um, but for me as adults, uh, look back into that mirror of the earth, we can really start to see and recognize ourselves for the fullness of who we are, for the value of who we are. And, you know, the earth as a sentient animate being is, is very invested in us looking into the benevolent mirror that she is holding up so that we can really come home to, to our power and really use that power to, to help feed the healing that is happening here on this planet. Thank you. Thank you for everything you've shared. This has been such a fun and interesting and I feel like enlightening conversation. And I'm sure our listeners have gotten so much from it. And as we begin to wrap up, we always close with three wrap up questions. And the first is what is your daily self-care and what are some of your self-care (laughs) non-negotiables? This is a really good question for me right now, because I had like such a luscious self-care practice before I had a baby. And now it's like really come down to the essentials. And so, um, for me, my essentials are going for a walk. And so going for a walk has sort of become the time when I meditate. Now I used to have like a, a a daily meditation practice that was a non-negotiable and, um, I hope to get back to it one day, but right now my walk is my meditation practice. So that's my non-negotiable, like rain, you know, hailstorm, whatever. I get out for a walk. I get someone to watch that baby so I can go for a walk. Or sometimes I take her now that she's older and she's enjoying those types of things. So going for a walk in, in, you know, around nature is, is one of those non-negotiables. Um, stretching for me is a non-negotiable at the end of the day. And this is something that I developed when, uh, a practice I developed when I was dealing with Lyme disease, which is a whole other story, but uh, I noticed that it was just so essential to my spirit to take that time to really be in my body and inhabit my body. So, you know, I have sort of that, that half an hour of just stretching and, and getting back into myself. And so right now, those are just my, my two daily things prior to having a baby. Um, I always wrote down my dreams, uh, and I, and I did a a morning gratitude practice and I I would love to get back to that right now. I'm kind of like, I'm waking up before 7am, like, who am I? Where am I? What's happening? What's happened to my life? But, uh, but no, being with a baby is also very meditative and, and full of gratitude in its own way. But I think, I think for now, those are the two things. And then I also just to share, because I think it's helpful for people. I have like my weekly non-negotiables too. So there's some things that I don't get to every day, but I'm like, okay, once a week I go outside, I tend, I have an altar space outside. So I tend that altar. Um, I bring fresh flowers to it. I greet the spirits on the land and I do a meditation then to, to connect, you know, whatever it is, ask a question from my guides or connect to the earth. So that's like my, what my weekly non-negotiable. And I've, I've really been amazed at how just even just that one half an hour a week, how much it refills my wells. So I'm just sharing that if anybody else is finding them at a time where they're, they're very crunched and they don't have time. And they're like, well, does even one half an hour a week make a difference? I'm here to say that it does. Yes. Thank you. And that's good. That's a good point for anything. It's, you know, something is always more than nothing, even if it's five minutes or weekly or whatever it might be. So, um, if it, you know, if it brings value to your week, that's, that's wonderful. And so I thank you for sharing that. Cause I think that's good for everybody to hear. And then, um, the second wrap up question is what does being courageous mean to you? Mm. Oh, that's a good one. For me personally, being courageous means being willing to be honest. It means being willing to be honest with myself, to be, to be honest with other people, to live my truth. I really think that there's this level on which like truth, love, and freedom are actually all the same thing. And like, we're here to kind of go on this hero's journey of, of really like living in um, love and feeling free and, and recognizing that that's our essential being is we are essentially made of love and freedom. And so the hero's journey is just to remember that. And I think the way that we do that and tap back into that is through being honest is through living our truth and, and continually discovering what that is. I mean, that that's part of the journey, right? We don't just know that right off the bat. Like it's, we go on that journey to recognize that, but the, the more, 
um, I lean into the truth and just how, you know, multifaceted that is for each one of us, because we're all so multifaceted and complex, the more I realize just how much courage it takes to like really be your full authentic self. So for me right now, that is what I would say courage truly is. And you've already shared one recommendation with us and in addition to your own, but the last question we ask is what is a book that has been particularly meaningful to you that you'd like to recommend to our audience? Yeah, well, I'm glad I already mentioned Sand Talk because that's sort of like my most recent, most favorite book. But I also want to recommend if people haven't read it to definitely get their hands on Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Um, Robin Wall Kimmerer is um, an indigenous botanist from here in, in Turtle Island. And her book is a, also a collection of essays about different ecological processes and connecting to the world, but it's really about what we sort of talked about at the beginning of this conversation, the interweaving of indigenous um, knowledge and ancient knowledge systems with scientific knowledge and knowing. And so, I mean, her book is just so beautiful. I mean, she's an incredible writer too, and, you know, philosopher and, and um, intellectual. And, and I just, her book also just feels like a big warm hug. And I think what I've seen happen with this book over the years is that it really opens doorways for people to step into their connection with the living world and to not feel like it's something outside of themselves, but something that they're invited to. So if you haven't read Braiding Sweetgrass, I highly recommend it. Awesome. Thank you so much. And if anybody wants to find you, follow you, work with you, where can they do that? So I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube under my name, which is Asia Suler. And you can also find me on my website, which is onewillowapothecaries.com. You can also type in asiasuler.com and it'll, it'll ferry you over there. And that's where you take um, that archetypes quiz if anybody is interested. Yes. Thank you again so much, Asia. It's been a pleasure having you today. Thank you so much for having me. This has been truly joyful. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch via our website, www.courageouswellness.net, where you can also find additional info about our health coaching services, virtual group events, newsletter, and more. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness.